קנ"ן הללויה. הללו אל בקודשו, הללו הוא ברקיע עוזו, הללו הוא בגבורותיו, הללו הוא חרוב גודלו, הללו הוא בתקע שופר, הללו הוא בנבל וכינור, הללו הוא בתוף ומחול, הללו הוא במינים ועוגב, הללו הוא בצלצלי שמה, הללו הוא בצלצלי תרועה. כל הנשמה תהלל יה, הללויה. הללויה. I love hearing the scriptures read aloud in the Hebrew language. I especially love the sound of the psalms when they are read aloud in Hebrew. When I came across that recording made in the 1970s by Father Abraham Shmuelov, I listened to it over and over again. By the way, there's a link in the app notes if you want to learn more about his incredible life. But I listened to that recording over and over again because I love the musicality of it in Hebrew. I love the musicality of the refrain, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. It gets repeated nine times in Psalm 150. Hallelujah just means praise him, praise him. And that's Psalm 150 in a nutshell. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Praise God everywhere. Praise God for everything. Praise God with everything. Praise God everyone, everything, everywhere, hallelujah. That's Psalm 150 in a nutshell. And as short as it is, it's the grand finale of all grand finales. It's a brief but extravagant call to worship and a fitting close for the entire book of Psalms. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about worship, and the series began when our founding senior pastor, Dave Rodriguez, described worship as the thin space between heaven and earth in which you are as close to God as you can possibly be in this life. He stressed the importance of learning to worship with our whole brain, both the left and the right sides of our brain. When we worship, we present our whole selves to God, all of who we are. This is true worship. And Barry taught us last week that true worship flows out of a reflective heart. He said that when we worship, we present our gifts or our offerings to the Lord the gift of our praise, the gifts of our resources, our money, our time, our energy, and the gifts of our attention, our focus. We bring all of what we have to the Lord. Living a lifestyle of worship means bringing all of what we have and all of who we are to the Lord. That's true worship. Worship is action. It's the act of showing honor, devotion, and respect to God. We worship when we offer our whole selves to him in praise and adoration. Sadly, in our culture, the word worship has been largely relegated to mean just the music portion of the church service, which I love. I love the music portion. But in reality, the entire service is worship. From prayer at the cross at the close of service, to the benediction after the message, to the message. On up through the songs and praise and adoration that we sing together as we enter into this space, coffees in hand. In fact, I would argue that even that coffee in hand is the outpouring of somebody's 
worship. These folks on the hospitality team who get here early to brew fresh coffee for all of us to make sure that it's hot and ready and in abundance by the time we get here, that is absolutely an act of worship. Because worship is more than a service we attend. That's the noun, right? That's the thing, the worship service. But worship is as much a verb as it is a noun. It's both and. It's both the thing we attend, the thing we're here attending, and the things that we do. Worship is an action. It's action. It's the act of showing honor, devotion, and respect to God. We worship when we offer our whole selves in praise and adoration. Getting up early to make coffee for all of us churchgoers on a Sunday morning is an act of devotion, devotion to God and devotion to God's people. It's worship. And I would say the same of your Sunday morning ritual. I would argue that your worship begins before you even enter this space or before you tune in online, which, by the way, welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Worship begins the moment we take action, the act of waking up and putting on clothes and choosing to drive ourselves here early on a Sunday morning. That is an act of worship. Or the act of choosing to tune in online and set aside one intentional hour of focusing in on God. That is an act of worship. It's an action that comes from an outflow of devotion to God. I'll say it again. Worship is action. It's the act of showing honor, devotion, and respect to God. We honor God by gathering each week to make him the central focus of our communion. And the word communion is another beautiful both and. Communion is both the thing, the ritual that we share when we receive the symbols that represent Christ's body and his blood. The piece of bread, the sip of wine. We'll be sharing communion at the end of service today, the Lord's Supper. But there's another definition of communion. It comes from the Latin word communio, which means fellowship, mutual participation, or sharing, a sharing. Communion is the thing that we do, it's the thing that we share, and it's the things that we share. Communion is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. This is the communion we share every time we come together, when we pray for each other, when we encourage one another, when we share our lives together, especially when we share our lives on a spiritual level. It's the common participation that we actively live out together week by week and day by day. And in this series, when we're talking about communing with God, we're talking about that week-to-week, day-to-day, even moment-to-moment, ongoing communication with God. We're sharing and exchanging our intimate thoughts and feelings on a spiritual level with our Creator God 24-7. We're always communing with God. It's like breathing. Your breath is personal. Your breath is close to you. Your breathing mechanism, your lungs, they are housed within you. They're internal, but they're always in motion. Whether you can see it or not, they're always in motion. And as long as your lungs are in motion, 
You keep living. That motion never stops. This is what communion with God is like. Scripture tells us that in him we live and we move and we have our very being. We exist in him. And we don't just exist on Sunday mornings. We live in him 24-7. We move in him. We have our very being within him. We breathe in. We breathe out in him. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Everything. A closer look at Psalm 150 takes this tiny six-verse psalm and blows it up to the size of the cosmos. So turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 150. That's page 523. If you're using the House Bible, of course, you can always follow along in the Grace Church app, which is usually what I do on a Sunday morning. While you're turning to Psalm 150, I'm going to pray for the remainder of our time together. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lord, have your way. It is in you that we live and we move and we have our being. Let everything with breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give us a deeper sense, Lord, of what it means to live in constant communion with you. Speak to each one of us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in your name. Amen. So Psalm 150 opens with a hallelujah. In fact, the last five chapters of the book of Psalms all begin and end the same way, with the resounding hallelujah, which translates into English as praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. These five hallelujah chapters are the joyous conclusion to the massive collection of Hebrew songs and poems and prayers that is known as the Psalter, or as we know it, the book of Psalms. Psalms begins with an introduction in chapter 1, and you can read all of chapter 1 later on, but I'll summarize it here for us. Psalm 1 is a picture of what it looks like to lead a godly and blessed life. And by contrast, it's also a picture of what it looks like to lead a wicked and ungodly life. The godly are blessed, but the path of the wicked will lead to destruction. The book of Psalms begins by showing us that there is a path that leads to life. If you meditate on God's teaching, if you keep his ways, if you're obedient to him, your life will be blessed. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Psalm 1 promises a blessing. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 150 is the joyous fulfillment of that promise made in Psalm 1. What is the outcome of delighting in the law of the Lord? What is the outcome of walking in his ways? Where where is this all going? Is it about being obedient just for the sake of being obedient? Or is it about obeying the Torah or obeying God's law? in order to avoid being punished like the wicked. We don't want that. Is that what it's about? Or does leading a life of obedience to God's law mean that everything is going to be smooth sailing for those who follow the the law of the Lord? What is the outcome of a righteous life? Theologian Walter Brueggemann said, Torah keeping does arrive at obedience, yet obedience is not the goal of Torah keeping. Finally, such a life arrives at unencumbered praise. 
as Israel and the world is obedient to Torah, to God's law, it becomes free for praise, which is its proper vocation, destiny, and purpose. In this light, the expectation of the Old Testament is not finally obedience, but adoration. The Psalter intends to lead and nurture people to such a freedom that finds its proper life in happy communion that knows no restraint of convention or propriety. This is the hope for Israel and for all creation. The outcome of a righteous life is happy communion. Worship without restraint, unencumbered praise, freedom to linger in that thin space between heaven and earth in which you are as close to God as you could possibly be in this life. Closeness, communion with God, happy communion. Psalm 150 is the outcome of a life lived in obedience to God and his ways. A person who delights in God's ways and follows his path is blessed. And a blessed person can praise God everywhere. And a blessed person can praise God for everything. A blessed person will praise God with everything. And a blessed person will declare without restraint, praise God, everyone, and everything, everywhere. Hallelujah. Psalm 150 begins with a hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. The psalmist is saying, praise him wherever. Wherever. Praise him on earth. Praise him in the heavens. Praise him everywhere, high and low and in between. Let the hallelujahs ring out, angels and human beings alike. The chorus above joins the chorus below and sing hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Verse 2. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise him for his unequaled greatness. This verse, verse 2, it has two parts. Praise him for what he does and praise him for who he is. Praise him for what he does. He is the creator God. Psalm 146, the first of the final grand hallelujah closing chapters of the book of Psalms. Psalm 146 verses 5 through 9 say, but joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise Forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. This is what he does. Praise him for what he does. He helps, he provides. He keeps his promises. He gives justice. He feeds. He frees. He enlightens. He uplifts. He loves. He protects. He cares. Praise him for what he does. Praise him for his mighty works. And praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him for who he is and praise him for what he is. He is almighty God. He is supreme. Glory to God in the highest. He is high est. 
He is high above all. Psalm 113 says, the Lord is high above the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God who dwells on high? We praise him for who he is. Who is like our God? Praise him according to his excellent greatness. And praise him with everything you have. Psalm 150, 3 through 5. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Can I get an amen? I had four drummers in the last hour who said amen to that one. All right, praise him. What do you have on hand? You got a ram's horn? Do you have a trumpet? Use it. Do you have a harp or a guitar? Do you have something with strings? Use it. Do you have two pieces of metal that you can clang together? Use it and make it loud. Make his praise loud. Praise him with the loud clanging cymbals. Praise him, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. One of the things I found interesting about this passage, the part that made me say amen, hallelujah, is the part about the tambourine and the flutes in verse 4. Those instruments were not typically associated with temple worship. They weren't churchy instruments. The tambourine, especially the tambourine, was not sanctified. The horn was, and the stringed instruments and the cymbals, they all had defined roles in temple worship. But the flute and the tambourine were more closely associated with secular celebrations that took place outside the temple. In fact, one commentary I read said that it appears that tambourines were restricted to use outside the temple because they were associated with Baal worship. They were associated with the worship of false gods. To some, the tambourine would have been nothing shy of devil music, not fit for the worship of our God, not fit to be used in the house of the Lord, in the temple. Tambourines were the electric guitars of their day. <laughs> but not so in Psalm 150. In this grand finale of the book of Psalms, we see the secular being employed in worship right there alongside the sacred. Use the sacred horn and go ahead and use the tambourine too. Hallelujah. Use it all to praise him. Use it all to make his praise loud and glorious. Use everything you have. Don't have instruments? Clap your hands, all you nations. Hands not available? Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. Not a great singer? No matter. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Shout to God with a joyful praise. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You guys get it. Use everything you have. Use your body, clap your hands, shout with your voice, praise him with tambourine and dancing. Now I am no dancer, and some of y'all know that I am no dancer. But when I take action to show honor and devotion to my God, when I'm offering my whole self to God in praise and adoration, 
My body can't help but follow suit because worship is action. Often when I'm worshiping, my hands will raise. Either that or, or they'll gesture as though they're directly connected to the outpouring of my heart. It's like an overflow of worship. My lips move as I sing or sometimes they just whisper in soft adoration, I love you. Lord, I love you. Psalm 63 says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Pay attention to the physical postures of worship that we see described throughout the Bible. The lifting up of hands, it's in the Bible. Bowing, leaping, shouting, fasting. Fasting is a way that we use our bodies to show our devotion to God and to give him our undivided attention for a time. Dancing, kneeling, standing, worship is action. He moves us to action even if that action is the command to be still. How many of you know stillness takes work? Sometimes it takes more work to be intentionally still than it does to move. If you don't believe me, Go home and try to hold a plank posture for 60 seconds. And no, that is not me, because that woman is smiling. I don't smile when I hold a plank posture. I don't smile at all, because stillness is not passive. I'll say it again. Stillness is not passive. It's active. Sometimes being still requires every muscle to be firing at once and demands every ounce of your willpower and your focus. When I hold a plank, ooh, it demands every ounce of my willpower and focus to be still, to be still. The Hebrew word that means to be silent often gets translated in our Bibles to the phrase be still, be silent before the Lord, be still, be still before him. How many of you know it takes effort sometimes to be silent? It takes effort to bite our tongues. I'm getting a lot of head nods. It takes effort sometimes to be silent and to be still. And I think that this is important to recognize because the out, outward manifestations of worship, the raising of the hands, the singing, the clapping, the shouting, all of that is very easy to recognize. But Ecclesiastes tells us that there's a time to dance and a time to weep, a time to laugh and a time to mourn. And I know that right now, there are just as many people listening who are weeping internally as there are rejoicing externally. If we're to truly offer our whole selves to God, then sometimes weeping and mourning is all we have to bring to him. We bring him our broken hearts when we bring him all of who we are. For the grieving and the brokenhearted, for those of you who I know are wrestling, just being here is an act of worship. Just choosing to tune in is an act of worship. It means you're showing up. You're doing what you can to keep seeking after God. You are showing up, and that is worship. Ten years ago, it took 
everything in me to drag myself to church. And when I got there, my hands were fixed firmly in my pockets because my heart was so heavy. I wasn't going to pretend like I had some kind of joyous, overflowing heart that would not have been genuine. That's not where I was. And I wasn't going to fake it, not even when the pastor came up behind me, put his hands on my shoulders, and told me, daughter, raise your arms. I turned and I looked at him with tears in my eyes, and I said, no, not today. Because there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, and that was my time to weep. I was hurting But I was there, offering all of me, my pain, my brokenness, my woundedness, my hurt, offering all of me as a sacrifice to God. And can I tell you, a decade later, he has turned my mourning into dancing, and I can raise my hands, and I can shout hallelujah. We worship when we offer our whole selves joys and sorrows to God. We honor him when we seek after him, even and especially in the dark times. Acts 17, 27 and 28, his his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. I love that scripture. His purpose was for the nations to feel their way toward him and find him. Maybe you're in a dark season today and for you, worshiping with your body looks more like feeling your way toward him. God, where are you? Where are you? And if that's you today, please know that he is not far from any one of us. Because in him, we live and we move and we have our very being. We exist. As our breath exists within us, we exist within him. He is that close, as close to us as our own breath. I mentioned earlier, the book of Psalms opens with an admonishment in chapter 1 to live a life that adheres to God's law, God's Torah, I came across a quote from a Jewish writer that I haven't been able to stop thinking about in light of this message. Miriam Goldman was answering the question, why do some Jews rock back and forth when they pray? They move their bodies when they pray. Her answer was captivating. She said every time a Jew engages with the Torah, the light of his or her soul ignites, which is why he or she moves like the flame of a candle. Isn't that beautiful? The light of our souls ignite when we encounter our God, who Hebrews 12 says is a consuming fire. When the wick of my heart encounters the brilliance, the glory, the heat of his presence, the wick of my soul ignites and I can't help but be moved and to move like the flame of a candle. Have you ever wondered why the Holy Spirit appeared as flames of fire on the day of Pentecost? Tongues of fire that rested above each person like the flame of a candle. Our God is a consuming fire. So don't be afraid to use your whole bodies in worship when our God, who is a consuming fire, ignites your soul. 
Our souls and our bodies are intrinsically connected. Like the flame that flickers and dances when the wick is lit, our bodies are moved to action when the light of our souls ignites. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Our souls and bodies are intrinsically connected. Sprinter and Olympic gold medalist Eric Little said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Our souls and our bodies are intrinsically connected. Are you a runner? When you run, do you feel his pleasure? Or what about playing an instrument? My son, Jaden, practically came out of the womb playing drums. And I know that when he's drumming, he senses God's pleasure. I know that when my friend Jesus in the back programs lights, he's engaging his whole self, body, and mind in an act of worship. Jesus says that he enjoys being able to make the lights dance. That's his act of praise. It's how he uses his whole body and his whole mind in worship, and he feels God's pleasure. Amen. The same goes for his little sister, Daniela, when she is singing. You can see her passion. It oozes from her. The passion as she sings to her father, offering her whole self, body, and mind, soul, and spirit in worship of her father. What's the thing that you do that connects your soul and your body and your mind? That thing, whatever that thing is, when offered in thanks and praise to the one who created you, that thing becomes an act of worship. So what is it for you that ignites your soul? Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Every detail in your lives is what it says. Let every detail, words, actions, whatever. I wanted to see how far this could go. Did he really mean every detail? every detail. I was doing laundry last week, and I wondered to myself, as I got down real low to reach for that last sock that was stuck to the back of the washing machine, I peeled that sock off the back of the washing machine, and I asked myself, even this, Lord, even this mundane task, can this be viewed as an opportunity or an act of worship? Could I ever say, and when I do laundry, I feel his pleasure. <laughs> because that's what my life looks like. And if laundry is a regular part of my life, and if I want to live a lifestyle of worship, then can laundry be an occasion for communion with God? God and I were having a conversation in my laundry room. And I sensed that his thoughts on the matter were, yes, any chore can be turned into a moment of worship when it flows from a heart of gratitude. And right then, he showed me how, as he filled my heart with gratitude. Lord, I thank you. There was a time not long ago when I didn't even have my own washing machine, much less my own home. So thank you. And yes, Lord, this sock that I just peeled from the wall of the washing machine belongs to my husband, whom I love. 
and I'm so grateful for, thank you for my family. Thank you for the loved ones who wear these clothes that I'm washing. And thank you for clothes to wash. You gave me clothes to wash. You've blessed me exceedingly and abundantly. Give him praise for the laundry in your life. He is providing for all of your needs. He is Jehovah Jireh, your provider, your good father. Lord, I feel your pleasure. Wet sock in hand. And I know that you are taking care of me and my heart overflows with gratitude. This is how the simple act of laundry became an act of worship just last week. So let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of our master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every detail. Challenge yourself this week. What mundane task in your life, what, what moment can be reframed as an opportunity to worship God? From singing songs of praise in your hearts, maybe to driving to work, to dancing, to running, to laundry, to making coffee on a Sunday morning, to standing still in his presence, to showing up even when your heart is wounded and heavy. Every detail of our lives, when done in the name of our master Jesus, all of it can be worship. All of it is communion with God. Worship is action. It's the act of showing honor, devotion, and respect to God. We worship when we offer our whole selves to him in praise and adoration. In a moment, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. So if you're at home, take this time now to gather something that represents the body of Christ, piece of bread or something like that, and something that can represent the blood of Christ. And please share communion with us. And if you're in the room and you missed it on your way in, there's communion at the doors on either side of the room. Feel free to move now as an act of worship and go grab what you need for us to be able to share communion together. We do this in obedience as a time of remembrance. And yes, it is a way for us to involve our bodies in worship. We have communion with God and communion with one another because remember, communion means common participation. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is something we share together. We receive the body and blood of Christ together as a unifying act of remembrance. We remember that his body and blood were sacrificed for all of us. We remember as we worship together with all of God's redeemed ones, we receive collectively in a posture of humility the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy, and the hope of Jesus Christ. We accept the mercy he has offered us while we acknowledge that his mercy is not just being offered to us as individuals. This is not an individualistic practice. This mercy is being offered to all of us who would so humbly bow beneath the shadow of the cross of mercy. And so with that in mind, let us share communion together. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We receive the bread, the symbol of the body of Christ, 
who gave his life on the cross was buried, resurrected, and is now seated in power forevermore. We share the bread together. sing with me. And oh, grace undeserved and freedom unending, I am your child forever. You, you love as you find me, and then you invite me here to your table. No, grace same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes we receive the cup, the symbol of Christ's atoning blood that was shed for the remission of sin, the washing away of our sin, and the redemption of all mankind. We share the cup now. If you're able, would you stand for our closing song of worship? And as we worship, let everything that breathes Sing praises to the Lord. Make a joyful noise. And by all means, don't be afraid to use your bodies. Raise your hands. Whisper his name. Shout his praise. Clap your hands. Stand still. Bow, sit, or kneel before him. Dance like the flame of a candle because your soul has been so ignited by our God who is an all-consuming fire. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us/hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.